Welcome to Real Talk for Real Teachers. I'm Dr. Becky Bailey, the creator of Conscious Discipline, an expert in education, child development, and a lifelong teacher and learner. For those listening who are not aware of Conscious Discipline, it is a comprehensive self-regulation program that integrates social-emotional learning, climate, and discipline. In general, it provides adults and children with the skills to be disciplined enough to set and achieve goals, conscious enough to know you're off track, and connected enough to others so that you are willing to persevere. So what are real teachers? Real teachers have real lives inside and outside the classroom. Real teachers often find themselves, just like everyone else, yelling at children when that is the last thing they wanted to do. Real teachers find themselves at a loss for how to help the children in their classrooms. Real teachers give up on some children and secretly hope they would transfer to another school. Real teachers feel bad about the same children being sent out of the room and at the same time relieved they're gone. Real teachers have real emotions, and sometimes those emotions are in conflict with each other. And yet, real teachers show up day after day in the workplace and give their heart and soul to others. Real Talk for Real Teachers is a growing community of loving professionals who seek to love themselves as much as they love others. Now, today, we're going to be talking about some major obstacles in the implementation of conscious discipline. And there's no question that implementing conscious discipline into your school, your district, your agency, your classroom, or your home presents some unique challenges. Now, the main reason for this is conscious discipline requires transformational change instead of traditional change. Now, traditional change is common in many places. It basically involves doing what you've always done, but doing it a little more efficiently or slightly differently. For example, let's take discipline. In discipline, the mindset for most is rewards and punishments. So that stays the same. But what changes in traditional change is how we give them rewards. We could let them earn points and go to a treasure box. If everyone meets a certain requirement, we could have popcorn or extra recess on Friday. So we maneuver, we change slightly how the rewards are given. Or you could just keep your green card green and all's well for your reward. And simultaneously, we can change how you receive punishments or consequences. So rolling out traditional change in a school is a short training of here's what you're going to do. The training consists of how to do it. And you have a little Q&A for those who might have some gray areas and have some individual concerns. But it's a very predictable, sequenced rolling out of a new initiative that requires no new skills from the teachers or a mindset change. It's very procedural and standardized. Now, conscious discipline, on the other hand, requires transformational change. And that's a different breed of an animal. It involves changing your mindset and your skill set. This type of change has to be rolled out in a very different and unique way. First, as you can imagine, you can't force or coerce bribe or manipulate someone to change their mind. So you must work with those who are willing. You must go at this from a level of inspiration. Join my vision. Hear what I have to say. Listen to what I'm saying. Does this make sense with you? 
Do you want to make these changes? And then you go with that group of people. That is very different than traditional change, which is hierarchical. The principal or the superintendent or the school district or the agency says, this is what we're doing. Just do it. So the first big change is that in traditional change, everyone is required to do that mandatory training in a mandatory way and roll it out in a specified time and it's easily measured. I can see you're doing it or I see you're not doing it. Transformational change is very different. You might expose a large number of people to the information, but out of that large number of people, there's only a, a subset of that that's willing to grab that new mindset change. And they're saying, oh man, that makes so much sense to me. I, you know, I've always believed this, but this just puts it into a nice package for me, or I was ready for a change. So from then you work with those people, those willing people, ultimately, so they can create a model site for sustainability that others could come and learn from. And then Secondly, in the transformational change, you must coach teachers. I mean, a new skill set requires a coach and a lot of practice and a lot of willingness. So teachers must be retooled. Retooling takes time and happens at a more individual pace and is harder to measure. Traditional change might ask teachers to put up a different type of behavior chart to keep records in a different way, but they do not have a large learning curve. And progress is fairly quick to see its implementation. In traditional change, the job of the leader or administrator is to require it be done, monitor it for compliance. The administrator, him or herself, does not need to model it in the system. They just declare it must be done. So in conscious discipline, which requires transformational change, the leader must adopt the mindset and learn the skill set him or herself. They just can't send their teachers off and have them come back. They must be the inspiration, the model, and a knowledgeable person in the arena. As you can see, these are two very different processes. So today I've invited Jill Moley, a 15-year Master Conscious Discipline instructor, to join us and walk us through how she's guided schools agencies through this transformational process. Jill has guided minimally three entire school districts through the conscious discipline transformational process. She's led an entire Head Start agency and is now working on two communities. That is amazing. So Jill, we're looking forward to what you're having to say and welcome to Real Talk for Real Teachers. Hi, Becky. Hey, good you're here, huh? Yes. You, you've been busy, busy girl. We like to be busy here at Conscious Discipline. We got lots to do, lots of work. Well, lots to do. So you've been on this process of transforming classrooms and schools. And so let's just start off with, with the big guns here. What do you believe has been the most difficult obstacles to overcome once you kind of got the hang of it. I mean, most of us aren't used to this transformational change at all. We grew up with traditional change more often than not. So after you got it in your head, okay, this is going to take something different. Well, what are your major obstacles? So the first major obstacle that I encountered was um, sometimes 
in the district office, they have decided, wow, someone's gone and they've heard us and they think it's fantastic. And they've decided that they're going to come back and they're going to ask whether it's this large district or a small district makes no difference, but they're going to pay for everybody, every school to send some people to um, a conscious discipline institute in the summer, or they're going to bring coaches in and the district office is going to pay. That was the first huge obstacle that I found because when I would arrive at a school on a campus to coach and that principal had invested no money in that experience, many times they didn't even know I was coming. They forgot I was coming. It wasn't valuable to them. And so the very first thing that I, when I'm talking to agencies and administrators is that everybody has to have some um, some piece in in the implementation process. And sometimes that means financially as well. So that was the first big obstacle that I ran so, into. So they need skin in the game is what you're saying. They do. They yeah. absolutely do. Just so we're real clear, you can't just, oh, I love it. So now you people are going to do it. And that's exactly the problem. So because it's not initiative that you mandate, it doesn't mean because you like it that someone else is going to be able to shift their you know, upbringing. And so it, it certainly is something that takes inspiration and, and willingness. The second huge problem, and this I still uh, run into, you know, I, I was just last week had a similar experience with this inconsistent messaging in the district. So the district brings in someone that does use the external rewards um, and punishment system, and then they bring conscious discipline in. So then folks in the district are, are confused and asking, so what is the vision of our district? What is our mission? Um, you're saying to some folks, go ahead and put this kid on a sticker chart. And she's coming in and she's saying, teach this kid missing skills. And so group at the top needs to decide which way they're going, essentially. Yeah, that makes complete sense. I mean, you know, I've experienced all those things myself. It is unbelievable how you can, uh, you know, you go, what are they teaching next door? And why are we here at the same time? Yeah. Okay. So with that, what are some of the key steps? So those are the major ones, right? Are there any yeah, other one major other, ones? One other big one, I would okay. say. Um, the last big one would be that th kind of what you alluded to in the beginning, you said um, the principal is in traditional change, they're going to just um, hire someone to come in. And so then they're not going to sit in the training. They're not going to, uh, which is a huge message to the teachers when the principal is getting up and leaving multiple times during the training or, or simply not at the training at all. Um, and so if you hire someone to come in and your intent is, yes, you teach them how to do it. And the administration has um, no, gets no information and most essentially, they do not change their leadership style. And I think that that's something that folks don't understand, that when you implement conscious discipline, it creates such a culture shift in the culture of the community. It's not just um, helping children to learn new skills and, and change difficult behaviors. It's creating this big culture shift. And so the leadership so often continues to manage and lead in a dictatorial way, or kind of the hip word now is a fixed mindset instead of a growth mindset, whatever you're talking about, the bottom line is they're still dictating while asking teachers to use shared power. 
So that's uh, those are the three big ones that I've seen. And you know, you see that a lot just historically that we have pretty much autocratic schools. You know, and if you look at autocratic countries, you're talking like Saudi Arabia, China. I mean, you'd have an autocratic school system to prepare children for it to live in a democratic society and then wonder why people don't vote or get involved or be participatory in that process. So you're saying that not only are we changing the inside, how we relate to children, how we solve conflicts, but we, as we change that culture to a democratic culture, then we must have democratic leadership. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's what I thought. Okay. So now we have these basic major obstacles and I see it all the time. People sending people, you know, also the one I see too is these four people need it because they're lousy at discipline. So I'm going to send these four, the worst in the school over to this place so they can get better. And I'm like, whoa, um, that's the antithesis of what we want to do, which is work with the best. Have you seen that too? I have absolutely seen that. And you're right. Um, and sometimes what does happen is those folks go, but because they're wounded, what they go for is only personal information. And so they're not able to go and receive information that they can come back and share with the staff, which is certainly when you make that kind of investment, the hope, I would think, of the administration they have so much personal work to do that it's going to take two or three years for them to do the personal work before they're going to be able to put it in the classroom. So it, it absolutely does not help with school-wide implementation. Right. And so you use the word wounded. So in that sense, we're probably talking about people who have had trauma or something from their background that makes it difficult for them to maintain their composure in the school and they've had difficulty maybe with relationships in their own family. And so, of course, when they hear this information that talks about relationship building, healthy cultures, they take it first to themselves and back to their family before they can bring it into the school. Is that what you mean? Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Okay. So what are some key steps then? So let's let's start from the beginning. We're going to make some kind of implementation plan with a district or with a school. Let's let's go with uh, within a school first okay. uh, or within an agency. So what are our key steps then? So one of the first things that we do certainly is kind of what we call ignite and excite. So we go in and we really inspire folks um, so that there's a willingness to look a little deeper into themselves and as well as into their classroom. And so we expose lots of different folks to see who is it that's going to grab hold and who is it that says, yes, this is something, this is a, something for me to do right now and I'm ready to stand up and lead. And from that group that kind of bubbles up to the surface, we create a, a group that looks like a, we call them a CDAT team, a conscious discipline action team. And while we are exposing teachers, so when I, I'm working in, in a school district um, in the Kansas City area, and so what I first did was I went in and I did an Ignite and Excite with the administration. So principals from all of the elementary schools, all the middle schools, all the high schools, and the early childhood center all came. And from that, out of all of the principals that were there, five of them were very, very engaged and interested. We're texting the associate superintendent during the training saying, I need this for my school. I want this. What do we have to do to get this to happen? So then from that, 
then I work with just those five schools because it's not a mandated implementation. Um, and so when I work with those five schools, what I do is I go in and while I am continuing to do training, I'm working with the CDAT team so that they are also learning some sustainability strategies themselves. So I'm offering strategies to the CDAT team, and I'm also coaching the administrator in that building at the same time. So it's really kind of a, a three-pronged um, approach. We're sharing um, basic implementation of conscious discipline in your classroom information with the school. Um, the, the teachers who have really said, yes, this makes sense to me, and I think I'm, I'm already in the game, then those teachers learn how to work with the staff while I'm gone, because of course, I'm not going to be there every single month. And so um, I work with them on how they're going to lead their um, book study or how they're going to, um, you know, work with the staff on their professional days. And at the same time, I'm coaching the administrator on shifting and changing his or her leadership style. Okay, so let me see if I think I've got this. So where you're going in and you're going to expose, and we call it Ignite and Excite, but we're going to expose a lot of people to conscious discipline and in an overview with some pieces and parts, but certainly giving them the understanding of what we're trying to do. We're trying to see uh, discipline or upset as a missing skill as opposed to disrespect and all that. And then you wait for those people to bubble up. Now, when you say bubble up, so we're dividing that group into the yeses and nos, actually. And I've seen this happen before. Some people bubble up in their one, their wannabes. You know, I, I want this, but I'm not sure I'm ready. I bubble up with excitement. I bubble up with passion. But my ability to implement is still not quite there. So do you? how do you look at those people that bubble up? Do you see who grabbed it and who put something in their school instantly? Are you looking for someone who can apply it? Or are you just waiting for excitement? No, certainly we're not. Um, we've been down that road, oops, and learned a little bit from that. Um, it's certainly not just people who get on the bandwagon, so to speak. It would be someone that we would actually see practically applying. So um, when I go into a district, I'm already actually looking at schools who I feel really already have the mindset shift. So I'm not really even, you know, in those schools, there's not as much work. So they're already kind of doing the work. They just need um, more guidance. When I'm in a school, um, again, I'm, because I'm, it's a three-pronged approach and I'm having conversations with the principal before he chooses the folks for the CDAT team, those are very critical questions that I'm saying to him. So is this staff person, because honestly, on the CDAT team, you know, if they are a cook in the kitchen, if they're a secretary, if anybody who implements it well has the mind shift and um, the willingness, we're willing for those people. It doesn't have to be certified staff only. I think that that's a limiting idea that some schools have. It can certainly be anybody, but we want someone that has shown that they actually um, have the skill set to apply it, not just that they like it. Exactly. And so you talk about this three-prong approach. So let's just clarify that. So one is exposure to all. Two is the CDAT team, which is a conscious discipline action team, which are the best and the most willing, the ones who get it the best, have the skill set almost there and just need a little fine tuning that can be coached to lead others. 
And then you have the coaching of the admin in that process. So we're constantly exposing the masses, working with those that are more intentionally and intensely with those willing, and at the same time coaching the admin. Is that correct? Absolutely. Yep. Okay. All right. So now we're in. We've got the CDAT team going. We're doing the coaching with the administration. What's our next step? What are we after? So this is where I think is a critical difference between our approach. So now I'm continuing to work with the administration. And because I'm in the classrooms, that's dictating to me what they're hearing and able to apply versus what I've just taught. So I'm 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 not a trainer who's just going to have a set binder that I pull off the shelf and I've covered this so I'm moving on to the next thing. The coaching in the classroom allows me to continually tweak. And so sometimes I'm going back and I'm teaching composure in four different ways because it's very clear to me that that has not been Um, acknowledged and they really don't understand the power of perception behind composure. So the coaching allows me to stay in that school district. And some school districts, I've been working with um, them for 11 years. And each year, we never do the same thing because it's really dictated by the teachers. Um, And so what we see happening in the classroom, or, you know, if there's a storm, like when there's a hurricane, or that's going to shift and change how we're going to implement and what we're going to do. So it's, it's very customized. And so it's individualized for each school and customized for each situation. Exactly. And again, I would see that comparing that to traditional change, then there wouldn't be like these standard benchmarks we want to see. I want to see this by January. I need to see this by March, you know, and if you don't have it by September, you're out of here or something like that. So how do you measure this? How do you ever get to fidelity? Well, um, it's a practice. So we're constantly practicing. We do have rubrics. So usually after the second year, the principals then start asking teachers to self-evaluate themselves. And so these rubrics um, guide them to see the varying implementation levels of the structures of conscious discipline and the skills of conscious discipline. And another obstacle along the way is that sometimes, somewhere along the way, people have heard that conscious discipline has a lot of decorations and that it's real important that you decorate your room with a lot of stuff. And, and they miss that the, the meaning behind those structures is really to practice missing executive skills. And so they miss the meaningful implementation of those structures. And it feels a little more like a Broadway play because they don't have those powers and skills. And so one of the, the things that I work um, very closely with the administration on is really checking in with where are teachers with their understanding of the seven skills of conscious discipline. And so that's when they use those rubrics. And another great thing that principals do very often is by the third year, they use that rubric when they go in to do their classroom evaluations. So it starts off as a self-evaluative tool that teachers, you know, learn to, okay, this is what I'm, I'm trying to get to. This is the finish line. 
And then administrators can use that tool as an evaluation tool um, when they're looking at classroom management in their classrooms. So, and of course, those listening, you can get those rubrics at ConsciousDiscipline.com and they're available for anyone. So give me an example of a structure and how you've seen it misused in a classroom. I mean, I know I've gone to to places and they say, oh, we're doing conscious discipline. I get there and they have a greeting apron and a wish well board. And I'm like, okay, where's conscious discipline? So, but give us an example you've seen how they've been misused and how you can clearly see it's not happening. So the biggest structure that is misused, of course, is the safe place. Um, Many programs around the country have a area where children go and it is a punitive area. And so they call it things like safe seat. So they, they use names that are appealing and that are gentle. Uh, however, the intent behind the chair that children are going to is you've been bad and you need to go suffer and lick your wounds essentially. And everyone in the classroom is aware that you're taking the walk of shame when you walk over to that chair. And so, so often when I walk into classrooms that are leading the implementation, you know, best they can on their own, um, that's the first thing that they're frustrated with is they say the safe place doesn't work is what they tell me. And so what they're really, of course, saying is we don't understand how to have this actually be an anger management center where children learn tools when when they go into this area they they have work to do just like when you go to the writing area you have work to do because the the old approach there was no work to do you sit and you think about what you just did and when the time is up you get to come out and apologize to someone and and that's it And so the safe place would be the area that I find to be misused the most. And you can see, because we say that the safe place is a self-regulatory learning center. It's where you go practice the skills I've modeled for you, practice the skills I've taught you, practice the skills you've seen me use in resolving conflicts and helping with upset. And this is like, like the worksheet, the math worksheets over there. So now that I've taught you all the math, here's a worksheet for you. So when they hear this is a self-regulation learning center that children can go over there and calm themselves down, you can see how every teacher in the world would say, I want one of those (laughs) because that would make them not have to do anything in regard to discipline, upset, or conflict. So I see why it's attractive. And I also see, as you've explained, how it can be distorted and not taught based on that notion of trying to move from that traditional change. So now we're making the timeout chair softer with a pillow, which is traditional change, as opposed to transforming our mind to uh, an actual place where we go practice the skills we've been utilizing in our classroom. Okay. Now there's a couple principles. Transformational change is not a linear sequence, step-by-step process. But there are some principles that we've already mentioned that need to be used. Like, for example, you just said, the admin needs to be on board. They need to be involved. They need to gain the mindset and they need to be coached. We also have said another principle is you've got to work with your willing, send us your best, your brightest. Another one that we haven't mentioned so much is we really need to take those best and brightest and make uh, what we call model or sustainability sites, model classrooms. So have you seen that process work where you actually get something that others can come and look, see, and let those teachers pay it forward? 
Yes. And of course, when teachers can actually see children self-regulating and the the thing that happens in a, a sustainability site for teachers is they feel the difference. And I think then it's easier for them to go back to the drawing board and say, okay, this isn't about the things or the stuff. This is really truly about um, a feeling. And so sustainability sites are, are, I'm just being honest, Becky, it's it's difficult. We have a difficult time because of teacher turnover um, maintaining. And so sometimes you might just have a couple of classrooms in a building and and you don't have the whole school. You don't feel like the whole school is is a model site. And that's perfectly fine because you're constantly practicing and, and teaching conscious discipline. So what what is the most helpful is, of course, we know what we teach, we have really embedded in our life. And so when you find a classroom that when you use those rubrics and and they really um, assess themselves as well as you looking at them saying they've got it, they really uh, have had the mind shift, they understand the powers and the skills of conscious discipline, then those teachers go out and coach um, teachers in the school. And so it's sometimes difficult um, teachers will say, well, that's because you got a good class and you always get a good class. Of course, she can implement conscious discipline because she has a good class. And so sometimes when those teachers are able to go out into their own school and do some modeling with teachers and those teachers are allowed to come in and watch that teacher uh, work with kiddos in her classroom, that's when you really see um, sustainability for years and years and years. Yeah. And that's one of our principles too: pay it forward, you know, constantly paying it forward. You know, you learn best, like you said, by teaching others. So once you get something, just tag, you know, Mm -hmm. you're it, go pass it on. So what you're saying then is when we go in for an implementation, we're creating a somewhat of a external plan, which involves conscious discipline master instructors or conscious discipline certified instructors, but we're also helping you create an internal plan so that you can teach one another inside that school. And of course, if your school makes it to a certain level of fidelity, then help the school next to you. So have you actually seen that happen where one school's now helping another school? I have in many places. And the delight in principals and teachers, and and here's the real thing that I've noticed, Becky, when that happens, is um, that principal sometimes can sit back a little bit and not be as engaged and invested in uh, teaching conscious discipline to the new folks that are coming in, in in that sustainability site. But when that principal has to go out and coach another principal, it kind of takes them back to the beginning, and it reignites excitement in them. And I see their their sustainability site go a level deeper in conscious discipline. And that's really exciting. So when they go out and they find somebody else and teachers are working with other teachers, there's just an excitement that happens when you feel like you've been of service to somebody else. Exactly. Exactly. So One of the things, as you said, that it is hard for us in conscious discipline to get a whole model site, a whole sustainability site. 
because of teacher turnover and also because of administrative turnover. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got schools that we've come right up to it and then the, the principal leaves and it's like, oh no, we're starting <laughs> over. But the good news about all that, the good news is I guess we're more of a Johnny Appleseed because those teachers who got it now are spread to another school and somehow we ended up in 47 countries. That's the kind of the, the good and bad of transformation. The transformation leaves with the teacher but they take it to another location. The transformation leaves with the principal, but they take it to another location. And ultimately, as this evolutionary process continues, we will get to a place where children aren't uh, described as bad or good, but as missing a skill and achieving that skill. And and let's just jump up and down that they've got it and uh, communities that can regulate themselves and work together. So, Jill, so now what are some of the next steps? So if you said, okay, you know, three or four steps for tomorrow, here's what you go out and do. You, you've heard about conscious discipline. You're fired up, whether you're a classroom teacher, administrator, or a superintendent. I'm gung-ho. Step one, what do you say? So one of the things that I learned um, quickest from you was there has to be a personal implementation. Uh, you have to experience some of those things yourself. And so principals or teachers or whomever, they're going to start implementing and experiencing what that feels like in life, not just life in their classroom, but life in general. So it's not um, conscious discipline. It's so different than a program that you implement for four hours of the day when you're with your children. It really is a practice that you lead all of your life. So I would say personal implementation would be the first place to start. So you start with not yelling at people that are in traffic. Is that what you're saying? That's step one. You got it. Take it Take it to real life. Okay, step two. Step two is if you're a principal and you're looking at implementing this in your building, you really have to start reflecting on your personal leadership style. Are you asking teachers to implement conscious discipline while you are dictating things about the attendance and you're dictating things about um, after school duties and and you're not using jobs to to you know help everyone feel like they're contributing to the school family and so really building that school family and looking at your school leadership would be the second thing I would say so you're looking at yourself to see can I share power can I be a quote just a simple thing as a general who inspires their troops to to go forth and contribute to their vision, or am I one who wants to dictate and get compliance? So you reflect on that. Okay, number three. So last one is, you know, work with your teachers, and those teachers are going to work with your students, and then you're really going to see the implementation begin. So working with your teachers and working with your students would be the last thing, and and I think that we invert that, and we try to work with the teachers, or really, we try to work with the students first, before we do anything with our own selves, looking at our own leadership style. So I would say teachers and students last. Excellent. So we take it within our own heart. We decide and reflect upon our own style. We grow ourselves to be the person we would like others to emulate or at least look up to. And then we reach from that out to our teachers, make a connection with them, encourage them, hopefully lead by inspiration. And the same then is hopefully, I guess this would be the only time in my life I would say that trickle down theory works. Um, So Jill, I want to thank you uh, so much for spending your time and for all you're doing out there with so many districts and bless you for all that you've put into this. And 
uh, many people have been blessed by you. Thanks, Becky. All right. And for those listening, until next time, I wish you well. For more episodes of Real Talk with Real Teachers by Dr. Becky Bailey, visit ConsciousDiscipline.com forward slash podcasts. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app.